John read Lamentations uh, to open our service uh, to remind all of our Auburn fans. Um, <laughs> I didn't even get to the punchline, but I guess I don't even need, I guess I don't even need to get to the punchline. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming that's the reason why half the church isn't here, I guess. Um, you're still here. We're still here, Willie. We are. Yeah. If you've got a Bible, uh, I want you to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, I just want to talk about the next few weeks, just um, before we get into our next series, I just want to talk about the church, if I can. And today I want to just ask a question that we, we, you, may ask, you may ask every day, or you may ask in situations. And the question is, why are we here and not just why are we here this morning, but why are we here? I don't know if you've ever asked that question, but it is a question you've probably asked when you're in a room with a certain family member. Why am I here? <laughs> or maybe, finally, somebody got it. Maybe you don't have that family member. Maybe you ask that question when you're in at your job, or maybe you ask that question when you're at school. And when I do some soul-searching in my personal life, I ask this question, and I think it's a valuable ask question to ask. What am I doing? The question is not just what am I doing here, like geographically, why am I here on earth? It's a question of purpose and a question of meaning. And I normally ask that question, and the question normally kind of fans itself out in the form of, what am I doing in my life that is building the kingdom of God? What am I doing in my life that is building the kingdom of God? I think you can ask that same question. What are you doing with your life that is building the kingdom of God? And I think we can probably zoom out just a little bit and ask that question about not just us individually, what are we doing as a church that is building the kingdom of God? When it comes to this question of why am I here, I think when you speak spiritually, we can get caught up in a lot of weeds because someone could ask that question in any church across America and ask that question, what are we doing here? And automatically, we begin with our assumptions, and assumptions are probably painted with our preferences. Well, we're here to sing a hymn. No, we're here to sing a worship song. Well, we're here to listen to loud music. No, we need it to be just an organ. Well, we're here to listen to a man preach in a suit. No, we're here to listen to some dude that only wears suits at funerals and weddings. No, we're here to, to talk about all of the things and all the weeds that we can get caught up with as a church. We're here to just talk about spiritual gifts or non-spiritual gifts, Calvinism or Arminianism. We can get caught up in all of these weeds quickly and miss the real reason why that you and I are here. And I have found myself the past really week asking that question. And if we're not careful, when we ask this question as a church, we can get caught up on secondary things that in the end do not hold a weight 
for your salvation, or, or, or I would say that they're not salvific in, nation, in nature, and our focus becomes secondary things and not the main thing, because the main thing gets lost Amen. in all of the weeds. And it's ridiculous, really, how many of us will kind of gauge our life without even asking this important question. Paul here in Galatians chapter 15 kind of refocuses a church that, to put it lightly, has gone rogue. And so I want to read the first few verses, and then I'm really going to skip down to the latter part, and I'm going to read this whole chapter because this is a long chapter. And Look what he says in verse 1, and I think it's going to help us answer this question as a church and individually while we're here. Paul says, chapter 15, verse 1, Now I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain. Look what Paul says right here. For I delivered it to you of, what does he say? First importance. In other words, Paul's saying this is the main thing. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. I love Paul's method of communication here because Paul is very direct and in your face. Paul plants a church in Corinth and over the next few years gets wind that things are going pretty bad. Gets wind that there's tongue paloozas going over there in the church of Corinth. Gets wind where everybody's just speaking in tongues and they think that's the only thing. By the way, that's what that means. He gets wind that these people are caught in their disunity, their idolatry, their sexual immorality, their social and racial class distinctions, and on and on and on I can go. And Paul's like, whoa, wait a minute. Paul has spent the last 14 chapters correcting the church, and finally he tells them, you have forgotten the first thing. You've forgotten what the first thing is. You have forgotten why you are here. And it's the gospel. The gospel in that it is the good news of Jesus Christ that he says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day. The main thing, Jesus Christ. They've gotten caught up in the weeds. They've gotten caught up in all of the weird nuances of life. They've gotten caught up with what is acceptable in culture. And Paul's like, man, you guys have forgotten why you're even here, and it's the gospel. And a staggering trend within our churches is that we don't even understand the gospel. I think the gospel is just equated to some man yelling at you. That's the gospel. Gospel preaching, some weird dude preaching to you and yelling at your face. 
But the gospel is good news. But why is it good news? Because you're such a fabulous, interesting person? Is that the reason why it's good news? Is it good news? Because Jesus and God just says, look how wonderful these people are. No, it's good news because it addresses the reality of the bad news. And here's the bad news that some of you didn't want to come in here and hear is that you're just a turd and you cannot do anything about it unless insert Jesus Christ. That's Matthew's translation, all right? Bit vulgar and crass, but you'll get over it. That you're a sinner and you are a terrible person that sin has stained you completely and no work can get you into right standing before God in search the gospel which they have forgotten and if we're not careful as a church we can forget while we're here and that's because Jesus has saved us Jesus Christ is why we're here it's not about preferences this or that it's about Jesus Paul is having to redirect them and like he's like getting the face of his child like what's wrong with you boy maybe you parents have never done that to your children I got some weird <laughs> stares there but I have to do that because my children just drive me crazy sometimes and I just slap them I don't slap them that's bad you shouldn't do that I grab them by the face and I'm like what's wrong with you what's the main thing focus because we live in this ADD generation and this, what I have called, I don't know if I made this up or I've said it so many times, I may, might as well just say I made it up, this microwave generation where everything is so fast-paced. Like I am, there's this world of ADD-ness. I am the president of it. And so this ADD, this fast-paced world is drawing our attention and it's so easy in our culture to forget what this main thing is. And it's Jesus Christ, this gospel. And he's telling them, Church of Corinth, why you're here. It's the sacrificial, blood-pouring, physical beating of Jesus Christ, him crucified, him buried, him dead, and him raised from the dead. It's the redemption of mankind through Jesus Christ. Now, now, go down in your chapter to verse 50 because I think he's going to give us a, another answer to a question and, and really address something they may have forgotten. And so look what Paul says in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishably, and we shall be changed, for this perishable body must be uh, perishable, puts on, sorry, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? 
Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory, who triumphs, for, for makes us triumph through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, pay attention to that. Therefore, my beloved brothers, look what he says, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Okay, so what is Paul talking about? The coming of Christ. His inevitable return. Something we don't really talk about a lot. Because I think, with, even within that subject, we can get caught up in a lot of secondary issues, and we can even get caught up in a lot of weeds when it comes to the inevitable return of Jesus. So why are we here? What is Paul saying to us? What are we doing here? It has everything to do with the gospel and our view of eternity. Because if you remove all of the secondary things, the only thing that's of first importance for us is why we're here, and that's Jesus in light of the gospel and eternity. If you look at the news, I'm not trying to be an alarmist. Everyone calm down. It's easy to become an alarmist. It's easy to get caught up into the scare of what's happening in our world today. But if you read this passage, it really should excite us. Church should be growing. The church should be flourishing in moments like this. Why? Why isn't the church flourishing? Because we have forgot our first importance in light of the gospel, in light of eternity. Luke 21, 25 gives us a eschatological view of things to come. That's a fancy way of saying what the end times perhaps will look like. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on earth the stress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, look what Jesus says about our posture. Straighten up. Raise your head, boys and girls, because your redemption is drawing nigh. But we don't do this because we feel like we're living in some kind of apocalyptic world right now. This isn't you. The, the world has gone through many more, many more situations like this. In fact, darker situations like this. And it's easy for us to cower, to get in our shell, to start creating the bunkers, hoarding up on the guns, ammo, and food. But what does Jesus tell us to do? What is our, what is our stance in this? When the world's gone crazy and mad, what is the church supposed to do? Look what he says. Straighten up. Get yourself together. Lift up your head. Look up your eyes. 
Stop cowering down with your head down, looking at your navel, and just, why is the world happening? Why is God allowing all this to happen? Look up. Straighten up. It's like watching, okay, so like, when I, I'll, I'll go to the movies sometimes, and, and sometimes I, I won't go with Miranda, and, and I'll leave her behind, and, um, and, and I'll go watch a thriller or like some horrific movie, don't judge me. Um, and then like later on when it's out, uh, me and Miranda will watch it. Uh, it um, I just told you what it was. And, uh, and so, but for some reason like that movie, uh, it, it's like, I'm nervous. I don't know why I'm nervous. I've already watched the movie. But it's and he's about to come out, come out of my bed. And even like after watching the movie three times, I'm, I've got my sword. I have a sword in my house and my gun. And I'm ready for it, man. I get nervous. But I've already seen the movie. FYI, he dies. Spoiler alert. Sorry, Jude. You're not enough to watch it yet. But I think we're like that in so many ways. Oh, I'm so nervous about what's going on, what's happening. Oh, the world's collapsing. When we've read the credits, my, my charismatic pastor growing up, he used to say almost every Sunday, I've read the back of the book, y'all. We win. <laughs> so why are we nervous? Why are we cowering down in moments like this? Why are we here? Notice at the end of verse 52 back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 we will be changed. I'm going to go through a few of these verses before I get to this last part because this last part is huge for us. We will be changed. We have to be changed. Like we have to. Thank God. No more 90 year old man needs for me. Alright? No more waking up, didn't do a thing, sleep, just wake up stiff as a board. Now, some of you young people don't know what I'm talking about yet, but it's coming. 30 years old, we'll be knocking at y'all door sooner or later, and you'll just pick up the shampoo, and your whole back is out. I just picked up the shampoo, which is like two ounces. No more of that. You will have a new body. God will create a new place. The dramatic implosion of the universe as we know it will be replaced and we will be changed also. Incredible. Verse 53 reminds us, for this imperishable must put on the imperishable, this mortal must put on immortality. You get a different body, praise the Lord. Some of you who really seriously are suffering with diseases and, and issues, this is good, good news. No more blindness, really. No more pain in our body. Then look at what he says in verse 54. This is going to lead up into what my point is. It speaks of great triumph. This is a triumphant moment. Why is this triumphant for us? It's a good question. I don't have to ask you what your greatest problem is because it's you. Right? Your sin problem 
You. Your mental problems. You. Your emotional problems. Your physical problems. Your relatable problems. Relationship. Everything points back to you. Your sin problems. You are your worst enemy. And you can't fix it completely at all. But one day, the Lord God, our Savior, will fix it. Not just fix it, but make it new. That's why it's triumphant. That's why it's triumphant. Because the Father then looks at you as His righteous. Nothing you could have done. This is why this is triumphant. And then kind of Paul mocks and taunts us with verse 55, Oh, death, where is your victory now? Oh, death, where is your sting? I've always loved that. Now Paul is going to lead us to this great transformation of our bodies, this new earth, this eternal view, to this great triumph. Now look what he says, and he's going to do something interesting here that I, I find very interesting in verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the triumphant approach to death for his great promise of resurrection. And who do we have to thank for that? Our Lord and Jesus Christ. It's the work of Christ that satisfies the law for us. It's the work of Christ that, that paid the price for our sins. Thanks be to God. Christ bore the curse for us. Thanks be to God. We triumph through that. Christ has taken that sting for us so that the Christian can look at death as a welcomed friend. Death is disarmed. And death takes us into the presence. Therefore, very fascinating, Paul has just spent 57 verses of doctrine. One single verse of application. 57 beautiful verses of doctrine, which should let you know that doctrine matters. And just one little verse over here tucked in at the end of application. And look what the application is. Therefore... My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. What is this great statement? Don't be moved around by your emotions. Don't be moved around by the winds of different false doctrines. Look what Paul just said. Don't move, move. Be immovable, um, be steadfast, abounding in work. Be steadfast, stop, stop moving, move. Does that sound confusing? Good. Paul is saying, stop what you're moving, but work. Why is he saying this? You have to stop 
with all of the nuances, stop with all of the secondary issues becoming the primary thing. And in this context here, stop with all of this weird idolatry, this sexual immorality. Stop with it. Enough with it. And stay, rest, be immovable with what? The truth of the gospel. So this all comes back full circle now. This is why the gospel is the first thing for us, that this is the foundation in which we stand on. We will not be moved when it comes by the gospel. We rest in it. We stand on it. It is the power of salvation for man. So we rest. We stop. We're immovable with our doctrine, with this view, this theological view of the gospel of Jesus Christ. While we are resting in the gospel, we're working for the gospel. Paul, what he has just done to the church of Corinth, and what he has just done for you, my brothers and sisters, this morning, is told us why we are here. We are here to rest in the gospel of Jesus and work for the gospel of Jesus. The gospel, in light of the eternity that is before us. Stop moving in your belief systems of Jesus. Be steadfast. What are we doing here? What are you doing with your life that has eternal significance? Because now that's the question being asked since eternity was just presented to us. What are you doing with your life that has eternal consequences and significance. I feel like so many of us are like the church of Corinth that Paul is having to remind, don't forget about first things. Like if we know this, that the gospel is the power to salvation, if we know this, if we know that Jesus Christ, his inevitable return is coming, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's tomorrow, today, a thousand years down the road, a couple millennia. I don't know, and I'm not going to get caught up in those weeds. But if I am to live my life in light of the gospel here now, in light of eternity, why are we keeping it to ourselves? Why aren't we proclaiming this message? Straight up, y'all. Let me just be straight with y'all, as if you expect nothing less from me. Y'all know good and well, if you won something, you'd be telling everybody, just like some of you Georgia fans were trying to rub it in my face before I was about to sing the worship songs of the Lord. Shame on you. You need to repent. You know who I'm talking to. When you win something, what do you know? You're excited about it. Likewise, if you see someone's house on fire, what are you going to do? Well, I hope it works out well for them. to get out. Should I call 911? Nah. I'm sure somebody already has. I'm sure someone has already witnessed to them. They're, they're good. Somebody else will do it. God wouldn't expect me to help this person out of the house caught on fire. I think when we start thinking like that, we've lost our purpose. We've lost why we are here. What has become our first importance? Because that's what you are inevitably living for. 
I want to leave you with a question. I've been preaching long the past couple weeks, so I decided that I would shorten it down a little bit. I'm going to ask you this question. What are you doing about this? What are we doing here? Are we resting in the gospel and are we working for the gospel, knowing that you know your neighbor's house is on fire? That's a reality. Your neighbor's house is spiritually on fire. And I've already told you who your neighbor was last week. Right? What are you going to do about this? Are you living in light of the gospel and eternity? That's the question that you've got to ask. And I think before we could talk about the church, we have to get this understanding of why we are even here. That we're here for Jesus, the gospel and eternity. So let's rest in that gospel and let's work for the gospel. And notice I'm not telling you that the works part is a part of your salvation. Let's pray. Father,